Hello, friends, and welcome to Something to Talk About, a podcast where different people come together to talk about the Word of God and the various ways it applies to our lives. This season, we are talking about the book of Habakkuk and what it looks like to practice faithful, unconditional wrestling with God. I'm Amber Barrett, and joining my co-host Aaron and me in conversation today are Becca Richardson and Kelly Orr. And ladies, we are glad to have you back a second time. Listeners, you don't know this, but we have already recorded a session with Becca and Kelly, which was wonderful. And then we went to find it and somehow it magically disappeared. So they have graciously agreed to join us again. Ladies, thank you. They're smiling at me like, (laughs) you're welcome. (laughs) And uh, I'm going to let you two, uh, Becca, I want you to tell us a little bit about how you and Kelly know one another. So Kelly and I actually were both involved with the same college ministry, but at different schools and a little bit at different times. A year ago, she came on staff. And so we have both been working together on staff with Campus Outreach at Augusta University. We have a great time. Yes, we do. (laughs) Me and Becca just have so much fun every day. (laughs) Nothing specific, but we just love to tell stories to each other. So... Every day when we see each other, we have a new story, it feels like. Probably of something embarrassing that happened to us. <laughs> you have something embarrassing happening to you every day? Pretty much. Almost probably. <laughs> it feels like it. Okay, Amber's the only one who doesn't, apparently. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I had something embarrassing happening to me today. I just told y'all about it before we started recording. So there. <laughs> All right. Well, we're going to move on and we're going to do our first things first question. We always do this at the beginning of every episode. I'm going to ask you the first things first question and you're going to answer and then also give a brief bio on yourself. So the first things first question is, who is your first celebrity crew? Rush. So like Amber said earlier, my name is Becca Richardson. I've lived here in Augusta and worked for Campus Outreach for about two two years now. And I've worked for Campus Outreach for four years. And I love living in Augusta. I actually was very nervous to move here. I thought I moved here from Jacksonville, Florida. And I thought that Augusta was one of the worst places you could go after living so close to the beach. But I actually really love, I've loved everything about living in Augusta and the church here. So that's exciting. My first celebrity crush is probably the same as every other single person in my generation's <laughs> first celebrity crush, and that is uh, Zac Efron or Troy Bolton from High School Musical. Middle school me thought he was the most beautiful man to ever walk this earth. <laughs> <laughs> I love that, and I'm just going to have to call Aaron out on this and myself because first time we recorded this podcast, somebody had to look up who Zac Efron was. <laughs> And somebody like me would have had to, but just didn't. So. Oh, my word. <laughs> it was somebody me. agreed Hired that she me. was not off on her estimation. About what? Oh, that About he Zac was. Efron. He, yeah. is, he is a beautiful creature. We'll say that. Can we <laughs> yeah. say that on the Christian podcast? I think so. <laughs> All right, Kelly, top that. Funny enough, mine was also Zac Efron from High School Musical. And I just distinctly remember being a kid and one of my friends threw this High School Musical sleepover when the third movie came out. And it was just the dreamiest night ever. And she had the plates and the napkins that had Troy and Gabriella on it. And it was just so perfect. So I'm in agreement with Becca that that was my first celebrity crush. Um, so yeah, my name is Kelly and I moved to Augusta about a year ago to be on staff with Campus Outreach at Augusta University with Becca and um, just a little bit about me. I love to read. I love pickleball. I love thrifting and 
I just love a good deal on anything. It's really more of a problem than a hobby. I appreciate thrifting in part because my mother-in-law thrifts and she is amazing mm-hmm. at it. She will walk into a thrift store and I'm just aimlessly wandering around <laughs> like, what is all this junk? And she will find something and just her way of describing it and showing it to me, I'm like, wow, that is a treasure. She just has the ability to make things treasures that are just common to the average everyday Joe, but she picks up on the uncommon and makes it cool. So mm-hmm. there's a definite skill in thrifting. Mm-hmm. Takes patience. Oh, it's so true. You got to play the long game. You do. We need to like go thrifting. What's your favorite stores? I would say Goodwill, but Goodwill is so overpriced mm. now. Like they, they will be selling a t-shirt for $8 and I'm like, Ooh. you got this for free. Yeah, like, so I'm still looking for a better, cheaper thrift store, but I usually just go to Goodwill or mm-hmm. I don't know if this counts as thrifting, but I love Uptown Cheapskate. Oh, 100%. Yeah. I think it does. Reused. Mm-hmm. I've, I've recently done a little foray into the online thrifting world. Oh, yeah. So it's like you thrift from bed. Mm-hmm. That's fun. That that's, where fun. I, that's where I am. That's where I am I do appreciate like going into the live stores and finding the wool rug or the mm-hmm. great frame or the perfect lamp, but it does take time. You got to be in it to win it. Sure. So as Amber so nicely pointed out earlier, I don't know a lot about movies and I have to Google things like who is Zac Efron? So I did not have a celebrity crush growing up because I grew up in this very strict and religious household. And basically, I think what we watched on TV was like Unsolved Murders, which <laughs> that's kind of funny. Um, Lawrence, Lawrence Welk Show. Anybody? No, do y'all not know that one? Okay, it was on PBS, late night PBS show. It's like big band. Hilarious. I loved that show as a kid. thank you. Lawrence wasn't really like crush worth. Mm -mm. No. So, and then uh, Jeopardy, you know, Alex Trebek or Will of Fortune. We just didn't watch a lot of TV, so I did not have a celebrity crush. I think also my mom would have, and maybe Geneva, my grandmother would have frowned on it as like unladylike because you only date who you marry Mm. kind of vibe. Mm -hmm. Okay. You know. Rules and stuff. Okay, so I was thinking about my celebrity crush, and I suppose if I had to have one, I'm usually kind of cynical about celebrities, so I don't tend to crush on them. But I really did like the Karate Kid. He he just was this romantic figure in my life. I don't know why. So um, Daniel Son, otherwise known as Ralph Macchio, and if you have a last name like Macchio, I feel like you need to have some macho about Mm, you mm. so he kind of did anyway i gotta get kelly you're laughing but it's true (laughs) i mean (laughs) (laughs) exactly i mean what is not macho about that (laughs) oh anyway so celebrity crushes they're fun to have but in in reality we all realize that they probably are going to disappoint us in some ways or we're going to grow out of them we tend to find that they're really not all they're cracked up to be and we are in, of course, the book of Habakkuk, and we've been moving through a dialogue that Habakkuk has been having with God because Habakkuk doesn't want to be disappointed with God. He doesn't want to land in this place where he feels like God is not all that he's cracked up to be. But he's got some questions and some concerns in the midst of evil times. It seems like the guy that he thought he knew is not doing any of the things that he thought that this God would do. And not just this God, but his God, the covenantal God that Habakkuk has known as the Lord has revealed himself all throughout the course of history, Habakkuk would have known him. He would have, he was God's prophet. He would have heard from him. He would have understood him. And yet he is in the midst of a dilemma that's causing him to question. The nation of Babylon is coming to overtake Habakkuk's nation. And Habakkuk's got some questions about that, especially as the Lord says, Habakkuk, this is actually from 
me. So Habakkuk struggling with that. The Lord replies to that question. Habakkuk saying, how can you let this go on? You're going to let evil go on unchecked forever. And in reply to that, the Lord gives him a vision. And in that vision, he gives him five woes uh, that go out against those who perpetrate that type of evil that Babylon is symbolizing. It all flows out of proud, idolatrous hearts. And so when we come to the last woe today, we see that here we are, the Lord is issuing that final woe against all who are idolaters. And in a sense, he is saying, mic drop, at the end of the day, all of the earth will stand in silence before me. So I'm going to read our verses here. We're starting in chapter 2, verse 18. What prophet is an idol when its maker has shaped it? A metal image, a teacher of lies. For its maker trusts in his own creation when he makes speechless idols. Woe to him who says to a wooden thing, awake. To a silent stone arise, can this teach? Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver, and there is no breath at all in it. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. So Aaron, talk to us about some of the things that stood out to you in this passage. Okay, so this is a pretty common motif throughout scripture that it is foolish to attempt our own deliverance. And we see that show up from the beginning in Genesis when God promises his sure and faithful deliverance. And again, he's warning or reminding these guys like, hey, it's it's not the idols that look shiny and pretty. They don't they appear to have value, but they're they're dead. You cannot speak life into them. They're a pathway to death. The gold and silver is not what's going to deliver you. These idols are not what it's going to deliver you. I am faithful and, and sure, and I will. And he kind of, we see this passage of verses wrapping that up and saying, I'm the one who brings you into a, a posture of worship and puts words of praise into your mouth. And I know last semester we did the John study, and it just is so interesting to me that you see this show up again in the New Testament narratives with the Pharisees. They're trying to craft their own deliverance. It looks like performance and piety to them. Which appears to have value. We see this. I mean, if we are following Jesus, we're going to look like we are working and we're going to look like we're doing religious acts. But it really is a posture of the heart that whether it's bringing life and it's fueled by the Holy Spirit or if it's a pathway of dead works and a pathway to death. So the Lord is calling to Habakkuk here. He's saying, it's me who's worthy. I'm the one who can lead you into truth and true life. The same that we see in the um the, the Gospels. And I think that's so encouraging that so often we think of that as only once Jesus gets on the scene as we see that deliverer. But we see it right here in the Old Testament that he's the one who's opening our eyes to truth. He's walking us into the abundant life right here in this minor prophet. I love what you're pointing out there, Aaron, is the fact that at the end of that passage, you have to land on the fact that I am God and you are not. And part of the way that you get there is to see this contrast. And I love how these words are used. It's talking about speechless idols who cannot teach, but they teach lies. Uh, we try to speak to idols. We try to call them to life. But at the end of the day, it's the silence that has the final word. Is all the world keeps silence before God who is in his holy temple. So I love the way that the words just pop that contrast out to us and and cause us to really be reverent. Yeah, I think that's super helpful just to set the stage and help us consider that. So I felt really convicted by the end of verse 18, where it says, for its maker trusts in his own creation when he makes speechless idols. I love just like what y'all are talking about. It specifically points out that idols are man-made. And when we trust in something that's created by ourselves, we are not only trusting in ourselves, but we are also 
worshiping ourselves. And um, if you look at some of the characteristics of idols in these verses, it says that idols are speechless. Later, it says they are wooden things and they have no breath at all, meaning that idols are completely lifeless. And worshiping lifeless things shows us so much about our sinful character. Um, We seek to worship these fake gods that are lifeless. And we even see in verse 19, it says they are overlaid with gold and silver. These idols look good and they're pleasing to the eye, yet they are lifeless and of absolutely no value. So this shows us what our sinful hearts seek in a God. In our sinfulness and probably subconsciously, we'd rather have a God that we can control, one that looks good, one that we can readily understand, one that glorifies ourselves and that can meet what we think our needs are, which all of this revolves around self. And idolatry, we know, is just all about self-glory, and it's about self-glory just as much as it is about the rejection of God's glory. So this just reminds me of the extreme danger of idolatry because it's admitting to God that He is not enough. It's admitting that we think that we are more important and that we think we must create something else for ourselves to worship. And it's really almost embarrassing if you stop to think about what idolatry says about what we think about God. It's interesting just hearing you bring out some of those ideas. I'm thinking about how you'll hear it taught sometimes that we want to make Jesus the way we want him to be. Mm -hmm. And we worship that Jesus that we've constructed Mm -hmm. and how this even this passage is saying, no, look to the the, the Lord. I will tell you who I am because Mm -hmm. I'm good. I've told you who I am and how to worship me. And it's not on you to figure that out or um, to make your own gods. So I love that you're pulling that out. That's super helpful to consider. Well, even when you think, even just an example of this in the Old Testament is, it always strikes me that how God delivers his people from Egypt and they come out through these very miraculous signs and they walk through the Red Sea with the towering water on either side of them. They have a pillar of, of cloud um, in the day and a pillar of fire at night. I mean, just very visual signs of the one true God. And yet then when the Lord calls Moses up to the top of the mountain to give him his law, and even that in itself is this terrifying, huge visual experience for the whole nation. They have no doubt that God has visited them, but it takes a little longer than they think. And then mm-hmm. they decide to make this idol and they throw this gold into the fire and they shape it to like a calf. And they say, behold, there's your God who brought you out of Egypt. And so it's always struck me that they're not saying, behold, Baal, mm. but they're saying, here's God. This is what he looks like. Mm-hmm. He looks like this. And yeah. I just thought, oh, wow, right out of the gate. Yeah, that's so true. And even as you're making that comparison, I was reading a book recently and it was talking about how the cross is so much the same as Moses delivering the people from exile, how Mm -hmm. the cross walks us into freedom. Same thing. Like so often we can look to the cross and say, yes, Jesus, it's you. I trust in you. I follow. And then we all somehow throw things in the fire. Reshape it and rename it. Mm. Yeah. Oh, that's convicting. All right, Becca, what did you think? Amber kind of mentioned this earlier, but something that really stood out to me while I was reading this was just the contrast between the false idols being silent and then in the Lord's presence, the fact that we are the ones that are called to be silent. And even just this idea that it's like in false idol and idol worship, like we are having to do the work because these false idols are restless. But in contrast, like when we are worshiping the Lord, it actually is rest. Like we are called to be silent, to be still, because the Lord is the one that is doing the work. The Lord is the one that is bringing life and we are just in his presence receiving it. Mm Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I like that contrast as well. So we were bringing out a little bit about just the folly of idol worship. But of course, if we really thought it was as foolish as the Bible makes it clear it is, we wouldn't do it. Mm -hmm. Uh, But we are prone to do the foolish things, which I think is such a grace that the Bible continually helps to reveal that to us. The Holy Spirit uses those words to convict us, to free us. Uh, But we will construct our own idols in our own hearts. And of course, in culture, that comes out the same way. When we're saying idols, we're saying whatever it is of creation that we put in place where God alone should be. So oftentimes it's a good thing. It's something that God has created and intended for good. It becomes an idol when we place it where it's not supposed to be, which is where just God himself is supposed to be. So what ways do y'all see us making gods out of God's creation in our culture, in the church, and how does that prove to be harmful? I think um, as I was thinking about this, I even have just a slightly different answer as I had a whole nother week to think about it. And I feel like entertainment is a big one in culture and even in my life, but even just specifically entertainment for the purpose of being able to escape from the hardships of life. And even like they could be small hardships of like, I had a really hard day at work today or like really big hardships of like people that I love are are really suffering. And entertainment provides this false promise of rest and being able to escape from that. And so I think even in my life, I found myself like idolizing even some good thing. Like I love to read books. And so in reading books is a good thing. Like there's nothing wrong with reading books, but I can really go to that to be able to escape. I think it harms me in that it promises rest and it promises to refuel me because it's a, an opportunity to kind of turn my brain off, but it only promises rest it like only provides rest so long as I'm doing it or it only provides escape so long as I'm I'm reading. But then when I when I quit reading, it's like all the hard things of life just come right back at me. Whereas coming to the Lord, that is where true rest is found, not in just the entertainment or the ability to cut my turn my mind off for a little bit. Yeah, that's a great way of differentiating between the two, because it's not that they don't provide rest. They do provide a momentary rest, and it's not even wrong sometimes to have that type of rest. But if you're looking for those to solve, to bring rest to the really broken places and to heal them and to fix them, they're not going to be able to do that. Personally, I think I can idolize technology, looks, clothes, affirmation from others, even my parents. There are so many things that I can idolize, but I love this question because it says, how is it harmful? And we know, or I know the ways that this is harmful to myself, but this made me stop and think, how is this harmful to others? And this affects others because when I've made myself, my looks and what others think of me, the God that I'm worshiping, and when I'm idolizing affirmation and approval from others, it constantly leads me to jealousy and envy and coveting of others. And um, the sin of idolatry just always leads to more sin, and it will always bleed out onto others because it will cause me to resent them for the things that they have or even idolize myself for the things that I do have. So it was just interesting to stop and think of how having idols and other gods not only is so harmful to myself, but how I treat others and act towards others. And um, an article on Desiring God was calling idolatry a quest for self-glory, which is exactly what it is. And truthfully, will be a quest that never ends and is never fulfilled unless we have faith in God's greater glory over the quest for our own, which was just a good 
reminder for me that I don't want to be on this quest for self-glory that impacts myself and others and just gives me this false view of God and of the things in my life. So when I am idolizing my relationship with a friend or my parents or whoever it may be, when they've become my God and comfort then they fail me, it causes me to act unjustly towards them. Not because of them, but because I've subconsciously made them something that they we'll never be able to fulfill. I think you both are pulling out the fact that our idols aren't usually bad things, that they usually are good things that we've made the thing. And I know that when Wendy also was here for our women's conference a couple weeks ago, she was talking about that theme of amusement, how it's different than musing, how we're thinking and processing with the Lord and amusement is the opposite of that. Like we're checked out, we're trying to escape our problems. So I think that is very fair. Like we put that on the table and say, Lord, help me to see when I'm resting in you versus when I'm just trying to escape what's my reality. Kelly, I love how, too, you're talking about how we have those good gifts of friends and family and other provisions that the Lord has put in our life and how easy it might be to call your mama or to, you know, do something else that's like really good and helpful, but how it is like it's truly the Lord that we go to and ask for help. And he's really the one who's going to move the needle for us and really the only one who can truly deliver us. So I love that y'all are talking about that, that it's not usually the bad things. I liked, Kelly, how you could identify how harmful it is and or you could identify that way that it is harmful and really if, if we back up in a few verses prior to the ones that we read you hear about babylon just sweeping through mm-hmm. and decimating people taking from them consuming them using them for their own benefit and their own glory and that really is when you're saying all those things like yeah that's what i do yeah that's what i do we will consume other people and lay waste really to our relationships, to our society, to all sorts of things when Mm. we are trying to serve that idol of Mm. self. Yeah, I, I love that too, how that the first thing, the first woe announces that it's all of this is rooted in greed. Yeah. And y'all are all pointing out these things that turn us towards ourselves and how we can exploit others or um, just try to trample over others to get our way instead of just resting in the Lord. For me, just when I'm thinking about sins within the church, just personally, the way I experience this is how I can default into like that appearance of piety and having the performance and just working to, to look like I'm doing playing the part. I think that's uh, fairly pervasive in the church, the global church. And then I know y'all have heard me talk about this before, but just how this church has helped me name the idol of comfort and ease, how it's the American dream. And it's hard for us to say like that is not right. And it is good to have, like the Lord has given us so many good provisions and is we should be grateful for the many amenities that he's allowed us to experience in this life, but to pursue that wholeheartedly as, as if that is the thing, that that is the prize is foolish that we we should rest in the fact that Jesus is the prize. He's the only one worthy of worship. So Habakkuk makes the interesting statement that we're calling idols of our own making to life. So we're using our voices to animate or to lift up what is dead and to worship what is not alive, to make gods out of God's creation. And he's pointing at like drawing out that foolishness. So that the only thing that silences our voices when it comes to this idol worship is a view of God in his holy temple and when we have gratitude for his deliverance. So how does a view of God in his holy temple cause you to silence the voice of idolatry in your own life? Yeah, this is a hard question because I think silence is really hard for me personally, and I don't even know what that looks like. So I spent so much time just thinking about this question because I just had no idea. I just started to think about how if 
we are worshipers. And if we are not worshiping God, we are worshiping something else and we are idolizing something else. So really the only thing that helps me silence the easy and quick idolization of other things is time in God's word and spending time worshiping God each day and not just the discipline of being in his word, but truly worshiping him and keeping my eyes on him and relying on him to silence me because I cannot silence myself. So taking time to just ask him and just spending time his presence and relying on him to quiet me down and listen to him. So it's just a really simple answer, but just the discipline of taking time to not just read the Bible, but truly worshiping God. Truly worshiping God is what helps me silence the voice of idolatry. Um, I think for me, as I was thinking about this question, similar to Kelly, I also am not very good at silence and just being still and being silent. I love to talk. Uh, So I I think it's really hard for me to sit and be silent before the Lord. But I think something that I've noticed in my own life where when, like Kelly said, like I'm taking the time to really spend time in God's word and in prayer, it's just reminded me that like God truly is the only thing that can satisfy me as I'm seeing like what is true and what is good. It reveals to me just the reality that my idols are not going to satisfy me. And I even was thinking about this, like, because I think sometimes I've just really struggled with like, okay, I know I'm supposed to read my Bible and I know I'm supposed to spend time with the Lord, but I would just rather do other things like sleep more or watch reels on my Instagram or like these other things that feel more instantly like satisfying and take a lot less effort. But I think something that has even been really helpful just over the past several months was spending time with the Lord and coming to like worship in his presence is I was gifted this little journal that like helps you as you're like reading through your Bible each day. And the first thing that it has you do is come and just acknowledge kind of how you're feeling coming into spending time with the Lord. And then as you write down those feelings, the next thing it has you do is to surrender those to the Lord. And I think this idea of just like acknowledging like, God, I'm not necessarily excited to come and spend time with you. And I feel just lazy or whatever else I'm feeling or sad or frustrated. And to surrender those to the Lord, I think it just reminds me that I cannot be my idol, that I'm not my idol. It gives me a right view of myself and and a right view of like humbling myself to come before the Lord and ask him to help me in those things. And I think just stopping in prayer and confession before spending time with the Lord has just been so helpful. And it's really impacted even just hearing from him as I'm reading God's word. Yeah, it's a recognition you both are saying of a need in a sense, and that uh, I, I do struggle with the same thing. My inner voice is often very loud. So there's a lot of conversation going on or monologue, I should say, going on (laughs) in there. And it does take what you're saying is, is you're pointing out scripture, you're pointing out prayer. And we can talk about the other sacraments as well, of which we experience the Lord through the ways I was reading about this in the Westminster Confession today, the sensible ways that Christ himself has ordained and by sensible, like you can sense them, they are um, we can touch them, see them, smell them, how he applies his covenant to us through even the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper. And then the the common means of grace in which he encounters us through our suffering and through our joys and through our communities and friendships and those sorts of things as well. We find that we do come to God, but it's he that has come to us. Like he has brought his presence to us through these means of grace in which he reveals himself to us. And it is true that when you see him for who he is, and I I think I even said in this question with a view to his holy temple, but 
when through Christ we enter into his presence and behold him and that and the Holy Spirit allows us to do that through those various means, we do grow in our ability to acknowledge I am not you. And, and I can have a little bit less to say, I think, when I am encountered with the Lord. Yeah, I, I just I love that y'all are bringing out that this truth input is so crucial and the fact of being in the Lord's presence and being able to rest in his presence when we taste and see, I think that keeps us coming back to know that we don't have to figure it all out, that we do have a good father that takes care of us and it is good to be in his house and we want to be there and we yeah. want to take shelter with him. And the way we get into that temple, into that holy of holy place is through the work of Christ. Mm -hmm. I just am always reminded when I think about entering into the temple where God himself dwells, where David just talks about, I want, that's where I want to be for my whole life, gazing at your beauty. But I, I don't get to just walk in. Uh, you know, I don't, I, there's a price to be paid and I don't have it and nobody has it. And just to think that Christ paid that price for us. He ripped that curtain. He opened up that way so that we could walk into the holy of holies, into God's very presence and experience all those benefits. And that's, I think, what drives idols out of our hearts. Mm -hmm. Knowing that you are loved by Jesus. Becca and Kelly, thank you both for joining us today. And just side note, it's such an encouragement to see y'all as just young and just strong in your faith and running hard for after the Lord. So I'm just so encouraged by y'all's presence on the campus and just pray that the Lord continues to give you favor in that work. And listeners, we hope that you will join us again next week. Let us keep you company while you grab your first pumpkin spice latte or take a lap at Costco to get your good game day snacks. We will be talking about Habakkuk 3 verses 1 through 7. We hope you'll listen in. Sometimes a light surprises the Christian while she sings. It is the Lord who rises with healing in His wings. When comforts are declining, he grants the soul again A season of pure shining To cheer it after the rain 